Uh, before we begin this evening, we're going to be taking, we're going to be continuing our our series in Proverbs, and this evening is going to be uh, just a little different. What we're going to be doing is is kind of surveying all of what Proverbs has to say on the topic of rebuke and correction. So we're, we're going to be tracing that theme throughout Proverbs and then on into the New Testament a little bit. Uh, but, but before we start with that, um, the, the, the idea for the sermon, I actually got at a, I was preaching at a conference back in last June, actually, and uh, another pastor preached a sermon on this topic, not, not this sermon, but on this topic, and it was so enlightening to me and so um, corrective to my own heart that, that I wrote it down, like, I've got to preach on this topic someday, um, and so here we are. So, so I hope that it's as enlightening to you as it was to me to hear what God says on this topic. With that, so that you're not standing forever, let's, let's read our passage. Proverbs 14, in verse 12. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is the word of God. You may be seated. It's a long passage, that's right. Don't worry, there's plenty of Bible in this sermon. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Father, our whole salvation stands in our knowledge of your holy word. Strengthen us now by your Holy Spirit that our hearts may be set free from all worldly thoughts, from all worries, from all anxiety and attachments of the flesh, so that we may hear and receive that same word. And and recognizing your gracious will for us, that we may love and serve you with delight, praising and glorifying you in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't watch a lot of TV, but one of my favorite shows is Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay, okay? I I love to cook, and I just love to watch that show because if you've seen it, he just lays into people, right? And every episode is almost exactly the same. So if you've never seen it, let, let me describe it for you. Here's what happens. There's some failing restaurant in some city across America, right? And so they, they call in Gordon Ramsay to come save their restaurant. World famous, you know, I don't know what the rating is for chefs with the Michelin stars or whatever it is. He's, he's got it all. And so Gordon comes into the restaurant. They're so excited. He's finally here. He's going to help us fix everything. It's going to be great. And then he tastes their food. And he's just blunt. He tells them how horrible it is. Um, He critiques the decor. He critiques the service. He just, complete honesty about everything wrong he sees in the restaurant. He tells them every reason that the restaurant is failing. He shines a light on everything they're doing wrong. And why does he do this? Because he hates them? No. 
because that's what they've brought him there to do, to help them do things better. They need to hear the truth. Now, how do you think these restaurant owners respond every single time? Well, if they were wise, they would listen and say, wow, thank you. We were blind to that. We will now fix this and this and this and this. But that's not what happened. Every single time, I know it's a TV show, but every single time, they get so angry. Who does this guy think he is? Our food's delicious. What does he know? Right? And then eventually, at some point, they start crying. There's a breakdown. They're out back smoking cigarettes because they're so anxious. There's strife among the people in the restaurant. And then, finally, they're ready to listen. After they've yelled and screamed amongst much bleeping and censoring, and so Gordon, they finally begin to change things in the restaurant. They change the menu to how he says to do it. He cleans up the kitchen. He redoes the decor for them to make it more modern. They open for service. And again, as dinner service begins, they start to slide back into their old habits. He comes alongside. He says, no, 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 keep doing things the new way. They rally. They succeed. And the episode ends, and everything is happy. The future looks bright for this little struggling restaurant, and you're just pulling for it because it's this little family-owned place every time. Now, this show is kind of old. I think the last episode was like five years ago. So then what you do after you watch it is you look the restaurant up online to see how they're doing. And what do you find? Most of the restaurants went out of business. Why? They changed back everything to how they were doing it before and ignored all of his advice. Every single time, most times. So, so again, let me summarize this because it sounds crazy, but this is human nature. World-class, world-famous chef comes to a failing restaurant, says, okay, if you want to succeed, here's what you need to change, here's what you need to do. They look at him and say, yeah, I think we're going to do our way. And then they fail, inevitably and predictably. Right? Just like our proverb, their way seemed right to them, even when someone wiser came and tried to correct them, rebuked them, and said, no, 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 this is the way. They rejected it and failed. Now, the Bible has a word for this type of behavior. The book of Proverbs calls it foolish. In one passage, it calls this type of behavior stupid. And, and it's easy to see this when we're looking at it in someone else's life, right? In this type of example, we, you're yelling at the TV because it's so stupid and foolish. But let me ask you, and I'll ask myself, how do you respond when you're corrected? When someone bluntly tells you a hard-to-follow truth, when someone rebukes you, think about it. Do you get... Defensive, right? Do you get angry? Do you get hurt? Do you just write them off? Or do you embrace it and say, thank you, I needed to hear that? Well, that's our subject for this morning. And so, ah, this evening, man, it's harder than it looks, folks. We are going to look to God's inspired words found in the book of Proverbs and see what God has to say about rebuke and correction. 
And what we're going to see is this. This is what we're going to see. To embrace wisdom, you must embrace correction. To embrace wisdom, you must embrace correction. Now, Proverbs uses different words for the same concept. Correction, that's one that comes up. Rebuke, it's basically the same thing. Someone rebukes you, they're correcting you. Discipline is another word. Same thing. Think of a parent disciplining their child. They're trying to correct them. Reproof, again, a word we don't use that much nowadays, but it means the same thing. They, they all communicate a similar thing. The idea of what you are doing is wrong, here's the right way to go. That's what a correction is. That's what discipline is. That's what rebuke is. So, so what does God have to tell us about rebuke and correction in the book of Proverbs? Well, first of all, we're going to see wisdom's invitation. It's an invitation. Now, as we talked about before, the wisdom in the book of Proverbs is kind of like it talks, it uses a metaphor, it kind of talks in the first person. So wisdom does not come to you unless you seek it. That's what we see in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom also will cost you. I heard a pastor put it this way once. Wisdom is a contact sport. In other words, you don't grow in wisdom. You don't gain wisdom simply by hearing about it. But rather, you must embrace its corrections and rebukes. None of us are perfect. None of us have all wisdom. And so when we seek wisdom, inevitably, we come upon things in our own lives that we need to change. And so wisdom corrects us. The path of wisdom is the path of correction. And so wisdom in the book of Proverbs invites you to embrace this. Embrace correction. Embrace rebuke. This is how one grows in wisdom. Proverbs 1.23 says this. This is wisdom speaking. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you turn when I correct you, I will pour out my spirit to you. Correction and rebuke will come. God uses many means, which we'll talk about later. But you have a choice. You must turn towards wisdom. You must embrace that correction when rebuked. Or grow stubborn, defensive, and foolish. So the invitation then is embrace correction and you will become wise. Embrace it. Long for it. Be thankful for it. Don't fight against it. Again, Proverbs. We're going to be looking at a lot of verses, so you don't need to keep up with me. Proverbs 6.23 says this, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and listen to this, the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. The reproof of discipline, the rebuke, the correction of discipline is the way of life. Not a way, is the way of life. Discipline, reproof, correction is the way of life. This is the invitation of wisdom to you today. Embrace the way of life. Embrace correction. Embrace rebuke. Now, now why, why is this the way of life? Well, because there is a constant temptation, and anyone here can testify to this, there is a constant temptation to stray from the right path. Sometimes we don't even know we're on the wrong path. There's a constant temptation towards sin and towards worldliness, what we're surrounded with. We are so quick to think that we are wise, and yet we so easily become self 
deceived. And so we need something outside of us to tell us when we are wrong, to correct us. I need this. You need this. And so God, through the mouth of wisdom, invites you today to the path of life. Embrace correction. That is wisdom's invitation. Now, wisdom also shows us the value of correction. So to kind of keep with the outline, we'll call this wisdom's valuation. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. The value of correction. So the first step in embracing correction and rebuke is to correctly understand its value. If you don't think it's valuable, you're not going to embrace it. That's usually part of our problem. That's why we don't embrace this. We think it's useless. We think we know better. I know how to live my life. I'll figure it out. I'll be fine. That's not true. Our foolish pride gets the better of us. But listen, God tells us in the book of Proverbs exactly how much value there is in correction and rebuke. So we told us before it's the way of life. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 25, 12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So someone who's embracing correction values it as if gold. They value the person who will rebuke them and correct them. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. The way to wisdom is to listen, to accept instruction. Proverbs 27.5, better, now this is a hard one for us, better is open rebuke than hidden love. God in his word says, it's better to be openly to openly rebuke people than it is to love them yet not say anything. Highly valued. Now listen to this one. Think about how you value correction in your own life and see if this is true for you. Proverbs 28:23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So someone who's willing to be honest with you and say, hey, I see this in your life. You've, you've got to stop this. Is more valuable than someone that just tells you, hey, man, I love you. Everything's great. You're the best, right? You've probably seen that in your own life. The closest people to you, those true friendships are those where you can be truly honest with one another. Highly valuable. Correction and rebuke is infinitely valuable. Have you ever experienced that? Have you, have you ever had someone just level with you and tell you the cold, hard truth, and you just hated it, but you knew they were right, and you knew you needed to hear it, and then afterwards you're so thankful for it? I've seen this many times. I've experienced this, this in my own life. But one of, the, one of the times I most remember is I had this friend named Matt, and he's a, he's a solid brother, and he was attending a church that had a lot of problems theologically. It was not a solid church at all. But from his perspective, he had been there a long time. He, and and this, this church had serious theological problems. I'm not just saying he didn't like the way the preaching was or something like that. But, but he loved the people there. You know, he had a lot of deep relationships, and he, he didn't want to leave. And I, I kind of tried to talk with him to convince him, but I, I wasn't very strong about it. That was my own fault. But one day, we were at a, we were at a preaching conference together, and we were talking to one of the speakers, and after hearing just, just a little bit 
of Matt's story, this guy just said, hey, Matt, I know I don't know you that well, but I love you, and this is going to sting, but you need to leave your church. I'm telling you right now, you need to leave, and you need to find a solid church. Stop messing around and get in a solid church. Now, how do you think Matt responded? (laughs) He was angry. Afterwards, he's like, dude, this guy doesn't even know me. He doesn't know my church. He doesn't know my situation. Like, he, he was upset about it. Well, fast forward about eight months. I got a text from Matt, and he said, so I left my church. He was 100% right. And I, even though I didn't listen right away, I am so thankful for his honesty and for that correction. I, I needed to hear that. And so that, that honesty, that correction kind of stuck in his mind as he thought through things and eventually bore fruit in his life. That is the value of correction. That is the value of rebuke. And that was such a great example of how to do it rightly, with love and truth combined. God uses his people as instruments for this. Rebuke and correction keeps us on the right path, and at times brings us back to the right path when we are straying, if we listen. So God is calling us to embrace correction and rebuke. He's calling you to this. He's he's showing us the value of correction and rebuke, highly valued. But number three is this, wisdom's revelation. Wisdom's revelation. So as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, there are kind of, there are different characters that show up in the book of Proverbs. But there are two kind of main characters. There are two main ways that people are characterized in the book of Proverbs. The wise and the foolish, or the scoffer. There's there's wisdom and there's foolishness. There's a, a path of wisdom, a path to life, and a path to foolishness and death. Now, now here's the revelation. How you respond to correction and rebuke reveals which category you are in. How you respond to correction and rebuke reveals whether you are wise or whether you are a fool, according to the book of Proverbs. And you'll see this. If you embrace it, if you heed it, if you listen when corrected and rebuked, doesn't mean you always agree, but you listen. Proverbs will say that you are wise. You are on the path of wisdom path of obedience. But if you reject correction, if you reject rebuke, if you just get defensive, if you respond in anger and you respond poorly, according to scripture, that's foolishness, it's folly. Listen to the word of Proverbs in chapter 125. And again, this this is wisdom speaking. You neglected all my counsel and you did not Want my reproof. And again, in chapter 1, verse 30, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. Wisdom laughs when the foolish fall into calamity because wisdom essentially says in the book of Proverbs, I told you so. I tried to tell you that this is where this would lead. You would not listen. Proverbs 12, verse 1, one of my favorite verses in the Bible because I need it every minute of every day, and because it's so brutally honest, Proverbs 12, verse 1, this can be your new life verse. Listen to this. This just lands 
like a bomb. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Whoever loves discipline, whoever loves correction, whoever loves to be rebuked, loves knowledge. But he who hates it, he who hates to be corrected, who hates to be rebuked, is stupid. It's a harsh word. I mean, that's a rebuke in and of itself. And the word translated stupid here kind of has the meaning of, like, brutish. You're like, the, the picture that this word portrays is like an animal that just keeps doing the same thing over and over, no matter how many times it gets hurt doing it. It's like, uh, this is going to be a Rudolph analogy here. But it's like a pig, you know, you put an electric fence around the pig pen, right? Okay. I don't know this from experience, I've heard. And it's like the pig that just keeps running into the fence. No matter how many times he gets shocked, he keeps doing it, because he's brutish, it's an animal. That's what that word means. The person who hates rebuke is like that. That's what the Bible is saying. You don't get it. You need this. If you love knowledge, you will love rebuke and correction. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, accepts his father's correction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So the wise, again, are open to correction. The scoffer, the fool, rejects rebuke, does not listen. Proverbs 15.5, a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is prudent. Prudent meaning wise. Just keeps going. Proverbs 15.32, he who neglects discipline or correction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Again, you can see the pattern. The person who hates correction, who hates rebuke, who just won't listen to anyone else's opinion, is a fool. The person who gains wisdom is the person who listens, who accepts, who values rebuke. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. The wise listens Criticism. One criticism will do more in a wise person's life than a hundred blows, a hundred beatings will do to a fool. Because fools are stubborn, they're impervious to correction no matter how often they're beaten, metaphorically or physically. And then listen to this one. Proverbs 9, verse 7 through 8. He who corrects, so if you correct a scoffer, here's what happens. You get dishonored. And he who reproves, so if you try to reprove a wicked man, gets insult for himself. So that's what the fool does when corrected. He insults. He dishonors the person correcting him. Do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. But, listen, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Again, you see see this. The wise Love correction. Fools, scoffers, hate it. Wise people are wise enough to know they need correction and rebuke. Proverbs 15, 12. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. So the scoffer, the fool, hates the one who corrects him. He refuses to hear anyone's advice. 
you see the pattern. This is how, this is how correction reveals our character. The, the crucible of correction reveals what's in our hearts. Wisdom or folly. Fools, scoffers, reject correction. They don't learn. They get defensive. They insult. They get angry. They plug their ears. And by doing this, they expose their own folly. The wise hear correction. They hear rebuke. And in humility, they listen. They respond. They change. Even to unfair correction or criticism. They search for a kernel of truth that they might learn something from this. So again, I'd ask you, how how do you respond to correction from your family, from your parents, from your friends, from your brothers, sisters here, from the scriptures? God is inviting you to wisdom, to embrace wisdom, to embrace correction and rebuke. He has showed us its value, and he has showed us how it reveals our character. He's calling us now to embrace correction and rebuke. I'll repeat this verse. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Memorize it. We need it. Number four is this, wisdom's prediction. Wisdom's prediction. So not only does your response to correction and rebuke reveal your character, According to God's word, it's also one of the biggest predictors of your future, both in this life and the next. Why? Well, because ultimately, to pridefully fight against rebuke and correction is to fight against God. If you refuse to listen to the correction of humans, you're not going to listen when God corrects you. Proverbs predicts, That the one who refuses correction at the hands of man refuses correction at the hands of God himself. The path of wisdom, again, the book of Proverbs, is the path to life, eternal life. The path of the fool, the scoffer, is the path of death. Listen to this, Proverbs 10, verse 17. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction. But he who forsakes reproof goes astray. So the one on the path of life is the one who's listening to instruction, receiving correction. The one who forsakes correction, who forsakes reproof, who forsakes rebuke, I know what I'm doing, goes astray. Proverbs 15, 31. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. You see how often the idea of embracing correction is connected with the word life? These two are inextricably linked in Proverbs. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Again, same idea. Proverbs 19, verse 27. This is kind of the parent speaking to the child. Cease listening, my son, to discipline and you will stray from the words of knowledge. If you stop listening to discipline, if you stop listening to correction, you will stray from the words of knowledge. Proverbs 10, verse 13. On the lips of the discerning, 
wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Those who refuse wisdom will find that life deals with them by force. Listen to this one. Same idea, Proverbs 26.3. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. The, the life of those who refuse to listen to correction ends up again being compared with an animal in need of constant physical coercion. The more correction is rejected, the more is needed and the more comes. This is what wisdom predicts of those who reject correction and rebuke. And again, in Proverbs 13, verse 18, poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. But he who regards reproof will be honored. You neglect the pain, the sting of correction in favor or flattery, in favor of foolishness. Now, the end will be ruin. Proverbs 29, verse 1. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. You can keep hardening yourself and hardening yourself and hardening yourself. Not listening, not listening, not listening. Proverbs says there will come a time when suddenly you're broken beyond remedy. Eventually this catches up with you in this life and especially in the next. Stern discipline, Proverbs 15, verse 10. Stern discipline is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. Again, you're seeing the same pattern. Embracing wisdom, embracing correction and rebuke is the path to life. Stubbornness, defensiveness, refusal to listen is the path to death. He, death. He who hates reproof will die. And then listen to this one. Proverbs 5, 11 through 13. Paints a picture for us. At the end, this is painting a picture of the one who has rejected correction. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. Speaking of one who, again, has been ruined by their stubbornness. The end of life will be sobering to those who have rejected correction. They, they will see their folly for what it is, but it will be too late. That is wisdom's prediction. So then according to the inerrant word of God, to embrace wisdom, to embrace the path of life, you must embrace correction and rebuke. You must embrace the discipline of the Lord. Now, it will be painful. It will sting. It doesn't mean that it's pleasant. In fact, it won't be. Like medicine, it doesn't taste good. But in the end, it leads to wisdom and it leads to eternal life. So, brothers and sisters, my encouragement, my call to you this evening is to embrace correction and rebuke. And, and hopefully by now you, you've seen this in the scriptures. It's like just wave after wave after wave. 
You see the invitation. You see the value. You understand the revelation, and you see the prediction. But the next question is simple. Okay, I'm ready. I want to do that. Where am I going to see this in my life? Where will I receive God's correction from? Where should I look if I want to get in on this? This infinitely valuable gift. Well, the scriptures answer this plainly for us. Number one, we look to God's word. We look to God's word. The primary way that God corrects and rebukes his people is through his word. The scriptures. We heard it read earlier. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture. We love this verse. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. We love that part. We love teaching. But that's not where the verse ends. It doesn't say all scripture is breathed out by God and is great for Bible study. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's good to have a nice Sunday school. It's good for Bible trivia. No. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Reproof and correction are profitable for us, and they come to us in the Scriptures. The Bible doesn't just tell us about God. It tells us the things that are pleasing to God. It shows us His commands, and we need this. This is why it's so important that we open God's Word daily and allow it to reproof and correct us. This happens in so many ways. The Holy Spirit grows us in the wisdom of God through the power of the Word of God. If you're willing to hear it, you can open your Bible and read it without being willing to hear it. But if you're willing to open it, to hear it, say, God, correct me, you will grow in the wisdom of the Lord. You've got to approach it with that heart, though. Father, show me where I need correction. Show me where I need to grow. Give me the power to do so. We all need this. You need this. We've got to go to the Word daily to receive God's correction and rebuke. It's profitable for us. This is the way of life. This is how you feed on God's Word. God corrects us through His Word. So we look to God's Word for rebuke and correction. Number two, we also look to your pastor's. One of the various things that God has specifically commanded all pastors to do is exactly this, correct and rebuke people when they are straying, either in their life or in their doctrine. I mean, you can think about this even if you just think of the idea of a shepherd. That is what a shepherd does. Jesus corrects us and rebukes us when we stray. Pastors, as shepherds, do the same thing, albeit with many more mistakes along the way. We see this all Testament when, when talking about pastoral ministry. In Paul's letter to Titus, as he's giving the qualifications, here's the type of person you need to be to be a pastor. He includes this idea. He must, speaking of the prospective pastor elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, that's the positive side, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So part of the job description of a pastor is to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. And a couple of verses later, Titus 1, verse 13, 
This he's telling us to Titus and about some of his members that had strayed. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Why? Because you hate them? No. That they may be sound in the faith to protect them because you love them. They're straying off after false teachers. Again, we read this earlier. Listen to the charge that Paul gives Timothy. And by extension, every pastor who follows him. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 2. I don't know if there's a more sobering or serious or solemn verse in the New Testament. Paul writes this in his last letter to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Brothers and sisters, as your pastors, we have this charge from God. In our preaching, in our shepherding, there are times when we must reprove and rebuke. We have been called to this. If we saw one of you straying into false teaching, false doctrine, and we said nothing, we have forsaken the call of God on our lives. If we saw one of you living in sin, to just leave you there, it's an act of hatred. It's a forsaking of God's calling on our lives. And by the way, this doesn't just come from us up here. That's why there's a plurality of pastors, because we have to do this to each other as well. None of us are perfect. Not even close. Now, mostly, this comes through preaching. That's why if you look at these, these verses, mostly in, in the context of preaching. So, so when you hear that sermon, we've all been there. We, 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 you hear that sermon, you, you know that feeling. Oh, he's preaching on that verse. He's, it's like God's just talking right to me. You know, you know that feeling, you've experienced that. That is God correcting you. When you hear that verse read and you just feel that sense of conviction, I know that my life is off in this area. You know, it's like when you're fighting with your wife and you're being a jerk on your way to church and then you show up and the sermon is on Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Or whatever the topic is. You have a choice. Will you shove that down? Will you... Will you Swell up in pride? Or will you receive that rebuke and correction from God? Will you embrace it and embrace wisdom, embrace life? But notice also for pastors and for others, we don't do this out of our own wisdom or out of our own authority. As pastors, we rebuke and correct from the Word of God. This is not some type of weird authoritarian thing. Our job as pastors is to guard the doctrine and the lives of the church with the scriptures themselves. So, so really, this is almost the same as the first point. It's God's word. God's word rebukes us and corrects us, and we must embrace it when it comes to us from reading or from preaching. To do anything else is foolishness. Thirdly, we look to our brothers and sisters. Jesus himself commands us, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault. That word for tell him his fault is the word for rebuke. Go and rebuke him between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
you sin against a brother or sister, then they should come to you and rebuke you. That is what we are called to do. And in response, you should repent and ask for forgiveness. This is the basic rule of all Christian community from the mouth of Jesus himself. Don't get defensive. Embrace it. Even if it's delivered poorly, that's the hardest. Embrace correction and rebuke from one another. See, God has given us the grace of community so that we would be protected from straying into sin, so that we, by rebuking and correcting one another and forgiving one another, we will grow in holiness. But for this to function properly, we must be willing to offer it and receive it humbly, even when it's uncomfortable. And when you're tempted not to embrace correction, because it's uncomfortable all the time, when you feel that sense of defensiveness rising up, remember this, correction and rebuke from God, whether it comes from his word, from the pastor, from your brother and sister, is an expression of his love. His love. Not his anger, his love. God only corrects and rebukes those whom he loves. God disciplines, Hebrews says, disciplines us, Hebrews says, for our own good. Listen to Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters by extension? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. In other words, embrace it. For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father is not disciplined? If you are left without discipline, without correction, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. For they disciplined us, verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time, speaking of our earthly fathers, as it seemed best to them. But he, speaking of God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And this makes sense. Because the gospel itself is a rebuke and a correction to us. The gospel itself proclaims and declares that we have gone astray and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel proclaims that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins and need something outside of us to save us. We're so dead in our trespasses and sins that we're blind to the fact that we're even dead in our trespasses and sins. So through God's word and the Holy Spirit, the gospel is proclaimed to us. You are a slave to sin, but God in his mercy shows his love for us in that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place. Christ paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. He was raised for our justification, and now God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That's the name of Jesus. Every name, every knee should bow. And so that's the message, and it's a message of rebuke and correction. When Jesus came preaching and teaching, he said, repent. In other words, turn from the direction you're going. Put your faith in me. Turn from your sinful ways. Turn from your useless works. Cast yourself upon the mercy of God. Repent and put your faith 
in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. To be saved, you must embrace correction and rebuke. Do you see the connection? The gospel is a rebuke. The gospel humbles us. To reject correction and rebuke is to reject the gospel itself. And so I would plead with you this evening, embrace the grace of God in the gospel. Embrace the grace of God in rebuke and correction in this and every other areas. Brothers and sisters, to embrace wisdom, you must embrace correction. I need it. You need it. We all need this. God knows this. He knows this, and so he has given us his word. He has given us pastors. He has given us each other. And as we all stumble through this life, we'll stumble together. As we sin against one another, as we rebuke one another, as we forgive one another, as we repent together, we will, if we embrace correction and rebuke, by the grace of God, grow together in our sanctification and holiness. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way of death. Do not trust in your own wisdom. Do not build up walls of defenses around yourself, but instead embrace the wisdom of God. Embrace correction and rebuke. Embrace the path to eternal life. Close couple of verses from Hebrews 12. Here's what it says. In light of everything you've heard, listen to these words now. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. For the moment, all correction seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a hard word for all of us. Your word itself acknowledges that this is painful. It's painful to receive rebuke and correction and discipline but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Father, open our hearts to be able to do this. Teach us to embrace correction and rebuke from you, from one another. Father, give us the love and boldness we need to rebuke others when it is necessary. Give us the discernment to know when it is necessary. And Father, I pray for, for anyone here tonight who has never embraced the gospel. Father, open their eyes. Open their eyes. Give them the faith that they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. Father, would they embrace the path to life tonight? And Father, I pray for, for anyone here who's, who's got 
that area in their heart, who's got that area in their life, they hear this sermon and they, they know that you're just putting your finger on that area in their life and saying, you know that you have not been listening to correction in this area. People have tried to tell you. You've refused it. Father, would you wake them up this evening? Lord, would they yield to your loving fatherly correction and embrace wisdom, embrace life? Father, we are infinitely grateful that you have given us your word and that it is living and active and that you speak powerfully through it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.